0: This is ASIC Talks, a podcast to explore ideas and curiosities in areas such as investing, entrepreneurship, and professional development. We hope that the information from the conversations we have on this podcast will encourage you to step out and take risks so that you can achieve the goals you want. Welcome back to our first episode of our leadership series.
1: In this episode, we're going to talk to several local leaders with extensive professional experience from all different industries.
0: Our first question to our guests was about the qualities and skills that they have developed that make them the leaders they are today. They're going to reflect back on their past and share with us some advice on how they got to where they are.
1: So first up, we have Elizabeth Shillo. She's currently the vice president at CareerBuilder, but she has extensive experience in sales as well as marketing and operations.
2: I think the biggest thing for a leader to embody is transparency. And I think that's the hardest one because part of it is that you have to admit when you don't know things. Um, And part of it is that you have to help the people following you to be okay living in murkiness. Um, Everybody wants transparency, but part of that is that you then have to be okay with not having answers. Um, And so I think the leaders who can provide transparency and help people um, live through change will be hugely valuable because I think that's a hard skill set to cultivate, especially when you're bringing other people on a journey with you. Um, I think the next one is people who are able to communicate the why. And I think we focus a lot on communicating what. Like, you're going to do these things and you're going to take these steps, or in school you're going to take these classes. Um, we don't necessarily focus on the outcomes, and I think for people who move into the professional world or into leadership roles, it's you're going to be told to do a bunch of things, and you could wind up being the busiest that you've ever been in your life and working the hardest that you've ever worked and not actually being productive. Um, if you don't know the why. And so I think being able to look at, hey, here's, here's the tasks at hand, but they're not tasks for the sake of tasks, they're tasks for outcomes, and how do you start to tie those two together and then be able to communicate the why to people around you. Um, like, I work in sales, so one focus that I would have for my team is um, meeting with a certain number of customers each week. You're not meeting with them just to meet with them. You're meeting with them to uncover opportunities, to build relationships, and to sell up something. If you just go on a lot of meetings, you could be running all over the place and not actually be doing your job well. Or you could go on a very clear, focused set of meetings where the customer understands the goal too, and you'd get a lot more out of it on both sides. Um, So transparency, um, communicating the why. And then I think the third one is financial knowledge. And that is a weird thing to say, but I think that as companies start to scale and move more towards technology, there's a lot of balance of what is a people cost? What is a technology cost? What is a, um, what's the balance between the two? Um, you know, all of us in theory are like, oh, technology is better. You can scale quicker. Um, which is good, until you have a problem and you call a person and get it fixed. Um, and so I think people who have an understanding of how to pull those levers to create a successful business environment um, financially and focus on, hey, how do we grow and how do we manage profit and how do we show profitability while blending people in technology will be able to move faster than
0: people who don't have that experience because then you have to learn it on the job. Now here's our second guest, Ed Baker who's an executive and resident at Georgia State University's Robinson College of Business. Let's hear from him on how he reflects on the most important qualities that he finds help drive his success.
3: I think attitude is altitude. It's always to me half full, not half empty. And you got to go 10 rounds. And if you're not willing to go 10 rounds, you're not willing to make mistakes and get up off your knees and do it again, then you do fall into the trap of moving toward being a loser. But I don't Never have wasn't built, not wired for losing. I'm not overtly competitive from the standpoint that I have to win, win, win all the time. Um, so it's not doesn't need to be extreme the other way that it, it's got to be my way. You know, some are overtly competitive to the point of you know there's no good reason for it, but you know I think there's a the middle ground. You know um, I feel sad for the people that. Frankly, or clinically, somewhat depressed, and then take on the L word, and, and it manifests itself. But I think that you know, it's it's like anything else. You know, if you believe you're a winner, and you act and approach it that way, uh, chances are you're going to win 80% of the time. You don't always win.
1: Our next guest is going to elaborate more on attitude and mindset. She's a recent graduate, and she started off her career at the Georgia Department of Economic Development and is currently a business assistant for Turner Broadcasting. So let's hear from Dana Powell.
4: I always say be curious. So that would be number one. Um, so when you're a curious person, you know, you're not just doing the job because somebody says, oh, for you, this is what you have to do. And this is how you have to do it. Sometimes maybe there's a better way to do it. So you're curious. You're always learning. And that brings so much value to your team. And when people see that you're not just doing the task how it's told, but you're thinking of new ways that you can bring value, that is always appreciated. So one, be curious. Um Two, exposure is important. So um what my mentor always says is you have to crush your day job, right? So that's just a given. But you have to make sure people know that you're actually doing these things. Um, So you have to be able to market yourself, essentially. You get better at that over time, but you can't just do the job. People have to know what you're doing. So you have to become very good at communicating, you know, maybe the status where you're at in things, maybe new trainings that you're going to do, new professional development programs you want to be a part of. Um, So just somebody can see your growth. Um, as you are, are growing so they can appreciate it more. Um, and three, um, just be passionate. I know a lot of people our age, um, people in their 20s feel like, I just have to do this job. Um, it pays well. You know, passion isn't the number one reason that people seem to choose careers. And it should be. So for me, I'm passionate about sports and entertainment. I like numbers. I was an economics major as well. So I ended up doing analytics at a media company. So there's always a lane that you can find um, for what you're interested in. Don't feel like you have to fit yourself into a career box that's already created. Um, so many jobs are, you know, being created now in the next 10 years, 30% of the jobs that will exist do not exist yet. That means that we have the power to do what we want to do. And I think people forget that. So whatever you're passionate about, if that's what you put your time into, you're gonna see the fruits of that. So to wrap that up, the three qualities I think are important are to be curious, passionate, and to really make sure that you're, you're being exposed. So you're providing exposure for yourself.
0: Our next guest is William Michael Cunningham. He's a seasoned impact investor, and also the CEO and founder of his own firm, Creative Investment Research. We're gonna hear from him about how his perception on something changed based off of his experience.
5: It's kind of an intuitive uh, uh, thing here that 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 hits on race, you know? Um, I'd have to say that probably the biggest thing uh, that I've come to realize that I might have believed is that there were certain um, rational reasons for assuming differences in economic position of people in different races or genders were justified. You know, uh, that's what you learned starting off. Certainly that's what I learned, you know, 40, 50 years ago. It's not true. It's not true. one of I, I guess that the one of the things I've learned is that um, intelligence and economic potential are evenly distributed across the entire human population. You know? And that, that's a good thing, you know? Uh, but I'd have to say that, yeah, I probably was a victim of that thinking that, oh, well, you know, uh, certain groups, you know, gonna have to struggle really hard to make it, you know? And what you realize, look at, look at hidden figures, you know, look at some of these things, what you realize is no, no, that intelligence is very evenly distributed across all of humanity, you know? And that, that's, that's good news. But what you have to do is you have to look for opportunities to release that intelligence, you know, bring that intelligence to the surface. And that's where I'm so optimistic about, you know, your generation and and you guys. One of the things I've noticed is that, you know, as I go across, I was just up in New York talking to blockchain for social good. And I was really enamored by how diverse their group was. And it wasn't some kind of fake diversity. I and mean, these these cats were smart. They knew what they were doing, you know? And it was like, it didn't matter who had the idea or who had the insight, black, white, brown, Asian women, men, it didn't matter. These guys were focused on the blockchain problem and applying blockchain in ways that help society. And they, they really were looking across all of these groups for the best ideas.
1: Definitely. It's important to always reevaluate why you believe what you believe. Our next guest, Ray Utenhoff, is an executive vice president and managing principal at SRSE Real Estate, and she talks a little bit more about how she changed her beliefs and her career path. I made a change in the early
4: 80s to commercial real estate, which was not a logical path. It's very difficult to convince people in the real estate industry that a woman first of all with a degree in education and a teaching background could be successful in the commercial real estate business but i just kept knocking on doors till i found the right opportunity my background in school psychology has been very very i found it very helpful you know in understanding people and establishing relationships so in so many ways i think there's real value in a broad you know, a broad background.
0: Our next guest is Ryan Gerlachy. He's an assistant professor at Georgia State's Robinson College of Business in the risk management department. Ryan's going to talk to us about how he overcame a personal struggle of his.
6: We tend to focus on the things that happen to us, maybe professionally or even financially, or maybe with respect to education that sort of form us um, or are foundational in creating who we are um, as leaders or business people. Uh, But for me, when I look at probably the most um, defining moment uh, in my life was um, the the birth of the event surrounding the birth of of my first son um, who was born with some really severe medical complications. And um, I, I point to that as being foundational for me uh, in my past, because and again, this sort of relates back to my work with uh, the Herman Brain Dominance instrument uh, and the idea that your brain and, and how you think and process information is is typically wired around your late teen years, but major life events can can change that. And I believe wholeheartedly that the sort of wiring, you if you will, the preferences that may have had towards certain quadrants uh, were changed around the time that Parker was born. And I went from someone who was much more focused on the facts, the logic, the data, the analysis, quite honestly, the money, uh, the power, the influence, and was put in a situation where no matter how much money or power or influence I had, there was absolutely nothing I was going to be able to do to fix the problem that my son was going to have, and ironically, given all the the talks that you know the the talking we've been doing about the brain, my son's issues were neurological. Uh, he was going to be born with you know irreparable and unbelievably severe brain damage, um, and like I said, there was nothing I could do about that. Uh, I wasn't going to be the one operating. It, it didn't matter it, you know what type of a professional I was, how much money I made. Uh, it didn't matter how smart I was, what degrees I had, or any success I had, or had not realized. Um, he was going to be who he was going to be, and you know whatever happened in the operating room, and then whatever would happen with the development of his his brain, you know after the fact was it just was what it was, and it really sort of changed my perspective uh, in a big way, and it pushed me down into thinking. More about and focusing more on emotion and feeling, interpersonal relationships, um, creating in me a, a deeper sense of, of empathy uh, and the ability to sort of connect with others others in a more personal, more personal way. But the other thing that it did, because the story is one of uh, uh, of honestly, you know, unbelievable. Um, I guess. Success, if you will, for my son. That now is just doing phenomenally well. He's got a lot of, of of behavioral neurological struggles. He is the personification of miracle, and that sort of helped me stretch into that quadrant that is more about big picture, that is more conceptual. That is, hey, anything's possible because here was this child that was born with almost no brain matter who's doing things that no one thought he'd ever be able to do. Well, well, then that, that that's possible in in any realm. Um, why not think about that in, in everything that you do? So the events before, during, and after the birth of my son, and now as I've seen him grow up overcoming the things that he's overcome, things that, that he couldn't change, uh, that has really dramatically impacted the person that I am today and, and sort of the approach that I take to, to what I do as a professor and a facilitator and also as a leader.
1: It's great to see that the path to leadership isn't always linear.
0: Yeah, I think it's really cool that we were able to draw all of those answers with the, from all those different people. And they all kind of reflect the same trend in the sense of always stay resilient, always stay positive, and also keep your eyes on the future.
1: Yeah, like they're all leaders in their respective industries with such different paths and so many different pieces of advice to offer future leaders.
0: It's also like really interesting to kinda of hear in terms of the practicality of the advice they bring. I know I don't know about you, but for me like in some of those instances I could definitely relate or kinda of put myself in those shoes, which is always interesting to put yourselves in the shoes of someone at, at their level of success.
1: Right. It's great to find that connection and for the advice to be so actionable and easy to put into everyday life.
0: I'm excited to hear more from these speakers over the course of our next three episodes of this series.
1: Don't forget to tune in for our next episode. Make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes so you can stay up to date on all our upcoming episodes.